You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You know, obviously, you've achieved great success, and great success happens by being as rational as possible in terms of building, you know, companies with thousands of people, motivating them, leading sure. them, executing on products, you know, selling all over the world. That requires you know, great intelligence, great rational behavior, great uh, ability to understand emotionally the people around you and work with, you know, people you love and trust and so on. But also what you're telling me shows you have this amazing open mind where it seems like you take in an idea and you instantly start pushing the edges on what you can do with this idea. So how do you exercise your creativity? Because I always feel it's a sort of muscle. Being on your planet, our planet, being on the planet Earth here, okay? One can Are you an alien? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm as human as you are, okay? <laughs> there may be some hybrid in there, but I don't know about that, right. okay? Anyways, uh, being on this planet, we get to experience everything we want, especially being in America, which is a free country. So you can go from homelessness to billionaire. You can go from fat person to skinny person. You do anything you really want to do. But the thing is to leave yourself open to the universe. I mean, that's that's a good philosophy. And people listening to this could say, well, that's easy for him to say now. He's 
multi-billionaire, does all this stuff. But how did you, how did you build that spark? So happy to have John Paul DeJoria on the podcast. You may have used his products this very morning. Originally the creator and, and original CEO of uh, John Paul Mitchell Systems, which is all the shampoos and hair products that, how, how, would you say a billion people have used these hair products? I would say, yeah, probably at least on a global basis, at least a billion people have asked for the Paul Mitchell products that are available only in salons. And by the way, if you ever see Paul Mitchell in a drugstore or supermarket, it's either counterfeit or through the black gray market. We only sell through salons. You know, I swear to God, at the pharmacy across the street, yeah. I think I bought Paul Mitchell shampoo. Yeah, I think. You know what? There's <laughs> This is interesting. I was uh, on Madison Avenue several years ago. There was a salon and like a drugstore next to it, right? And in the window, they had Paul Mitchell. And the salon had a bunch of Paul Mitchell. I walked in there. I said, how do they get that? They said, JP, they come in here, buy it at full retail, which we could sell anyone at full retail. We're not violating agreement. They add on $2 and sell it. And why? Because very few of their customers will come in the salon. People know Paul Mitchell's the best. They don't have a clue of what it sells for. So, so by adding a couple dollars on, they make two bucks. They sell every bottle. They buy it for me full retail at two bucks on and sell it. So, so... JP, obviously, even from what you just said, we could tell you that the, I'm, I'm also going to introduce you as the, the world's best salesman. And it's it's clear from the stories that we're going to talk about uh, throughout the podcast, but you're, you're, const you're in like sales mode constantly. You're such a believer in everything you're doing, which is great. I think that's the number one secret to sales is- You got to believe it. You got to believe it and, and, and have the ability to express it with charisma, I think. You have to teleport your vision from like your head to the heads of everybody listening. And so we're gonna talk about that in a second. But I think people also don't know all the other activities you're involved in. Um, and I just wanna mention, they could find out a lot about that in the movie, Good Fortune, which came out last year, uh, which is the story of your life. And, and there's so many fascinating characters and, and stories, and we're gonna get to some of them, but I encourage people to, to watch that movie. You've also been on some, some good podcasts. Uh, Big Think had a good interview with you. Tom Bilyeu, who's been on this podcast, has had a good interview with you. I encourage people to, to listen to those um, because there's many facets uh, that we're gonna talk about. Uh, but also you're, you're the owner of Patron Tequila. You're the owner of like a billion different things. What, what, what else do, do you, do you own? And then, <laughs> let's and then say do. I'm very fortunate, obviously Paul Mitchell hair care yeah. that I started in 1980 when I was homeless. You know, that was, that, that's my pride and joy. Right, we're going to get to that homeless that story. So of course I started Patron at John Paul Pett, uh, Rock Mobile, Rocket, ABK Beer, which is pretty cool. Bogart Gin, Bogart Vodka, Bogart Rum. Uh, to Bogart whiskey, to name a few. Uh, you know, I'm into laboratories. I'm into hydrocarbons. We have companies that uh, search for gas and oil with ecology in mind. Believe it or not. How do you do that? Uh, very easy. First of all, you don't penetrate the land. It's fly over. We can fly over to land or water, and with some technology we have, penetrate even down to ten thousand feet of water and underground. After that, it's like a like kind of a, a radar, like a Something seismic. Like that, uh, but it but it shows every anomaly of gas and oil that exists. It just won't tell you if it's commercially viable. So if you had a million acres, instead of trying to run lines everywhere and putting things in the ground, whatever, you know, do little explosives, all from the air. So let's say in a million acres, uh, maybe 5% of it has some kind of a show of oil or gas. You know exactly where it is, you go there, and you do whatever locally you have to do to see if it's commercially viable. And then when somebody uses our technology to go after gas and oil or fracking, they must do it with the highest standards of ecology or we won't sell them the data. 
Wow. So, so in some sense, this is, and I'm a big believer in this. It's almost like for-profit charity. Like you, 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 to, to create a business, it's gotta be sustainable. And, uh, but there's no reason why a good business can't be good for the environment, good exactly. for people, good for, you know, that's right. what actually ultimately makes the best products. And that, and that goes back to, uh, you know, Paul Mitchell hair sure. products, which we'll talk about in a second. And we'll talk about your, your, your prior homelessness in a second. Um, and can I give you one more company? Yeah. Because it's winter time and the world health organization says that 3.7 billion people on our planet have the cold sore virus. So you get a cold sore virus. It's embarrassing. It's that's two out of every three people. So I came up with something working with native Americans and universities called Abio. A-U-B-I-O. Right now, it's at Bed Bath & Beyond. It's at Rite Aid and over the internet. If you go to A-U-B-I-O, abio.com. It's a plant-based product. If you have a cold sore coming on, you feel the little tingle, you put it on, and there's a good chance it won't even come out. So if it does come out, if it does come out, put on every hour or two, and everyone I've personally given it to, it's gone within two days or less. Everyone I've personally given it to. What's the plan? Uh, some of them are what they call Saracenian plants, which are from, uh, shall we say, swamps where you would find the Venus flytrap. They're carnivorous plants. That's one of the main ones in there. And the Native Americans came up with that one there. And by the so way, I, I it, almost, it, by the way, this you'll love this. It retails for only $19.95 for a whole tube you could reuse. Let me just say, you're, you're still the ultimate salesman here. Because no, I was but, trying no, to interrupt right you, now, and you two just out throw of every a price three out of me. people have a cold sore virus <laughs> in the winter. It comes on everywhere, right? In the summer, too. It's it's the official cold sore treatment for the U.S. ski team and snowboard team. So, so before I introduce you as a as a billionaire, also, although I guess I just did. Uh, I, I, what I do you ever wonder, like like you just said, the Venus flytrap plant? Who who in history was the first person to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm going to touch this plant, squeeze the juice out of it, and put it on my mouth and see what happens. <laughs> like, back, who, did, who did that? Back in the 15th and 16th century, when the British were here before we declared our independence, they tried to wipe out the North American Indians and the, the Native Americans. They gave them smallpox blankets that were from smallpox people. Are we you kidding? Could, I didn't yeah, know that. We could cure smallpox with quinine, whatever, right? But the Indians had no defense system. They could die of a common cold. So they all of a sudden started giving them out to Native Americans. All of a sudden, they started dying left and right but it stopped when it got close to Ohio and Pennsylvania. The reason it stopped was the Native American medicine man knew this plant they got out of the swamp there, right, that you put on skin was good for skin. And they would, skin irritations, mosquito bites, whatever, and they put it on and it stopped it dead in its tracks. But, right, so- Native so, Americans. So, so, A, I didn't know, I, I always thought that we gave, you know, I say we, the, 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 Invaders of North America gave uh, the the, the uh, Native Americans smallpox just by because it was contagious. You're telling me it was actually like sort of a, uh, a weaponized. It uh, was blankets. contagious, and they gave away blanks. They made a whole movie about it. I think back in the 50s or 60s, they made a movie about it. So, so again, though, I wonder, like, who are these medicine men? that waded into a swamp and said, you know what, we're going to take the most dangerous plant here and put it on our skin and see what happens. Like yeah. who kind of discovered these properties? That's what I always wonder. You know, it, you, I wonder also, cause this goes back thousands of years. Uh, they had uncovered by the way, oh, about 40 years ago in the middle of, uh, of Central America, an area called the Mirador Basin where nobody knew it was even there. Lindbergh flew over it back in the twenties and said, there's something weird here. There's these big piles in the middle of this big area. It almost looks like little mounds that are 
they can't be made naturally. When we had ground-penetrating radar, they said, oh my God, there's something under there, right? So Dr. Hansen uh, put an expedition down there and they took him two weeks to cut through jungle to get to the first, what they thought was a pyramid, uncovered it was a pyramid. It's an area bigger than Los Angeles, 21 pyramids, one of them larger than the Great Pyramid of Egypt. And when they went there, they found roadways that were 15 feet in the air, 50 feet wide, okay, paved 18 inches on top, and in those days, they had no beast of burden and no wheels. And so wait, so... And they had an agricultural society. Somebody had to have shown them something somewhere, and they took it from there. Or maybe was experimenting through, you know, loss. Who knows? All right, so... Let's, Interesting, we're, huh? we're, Yeah, there's so many <laughs> different directions we could go. The classic direction is we talk about you being homeless at the critical moment sure. when you start okay. jump on with, without the Venus flytrap but, but 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 I'm going to go on a tangent so is there there's a documentary you're saying where I could re learn about these 21 pyramids or there's yeah what? if you go online to the Mirador basin in Guatemala Mirador basin uh, it'll show you it'll show you the pyramids I've been down there a couple of times you've and seen them. I've stayed there I've climbed them I've gone inside of them I've been on doctor uh, with dr Hansen on two uh, uh, little exploratory things down and, there and you just kind of implied that maybe aliens did them let's just say somebody extremely intelligent showed these people what to do like what do you actually I mean I, it could be aliens right but what do you think happened there is no doubt in my mind that 10,000 years ago plus, there was a very advanced society on our planet, beyond any question of a doubt. They have found 150 feet under the water off the coast of India, a city with granite, granite steps over the else, off the coast of Japan in 180 feet of water. They found something else that looked like a city with granite blocks off the coast of Cuba, a uh, Russian team found down there what looked like a city, but it was out of granite, out of stone. This is all down 150 to 180 feet underwater. Well, we know something big happened 10,000 years ago. They talk about Noah's flood. They talk about all these things. It was a big water deal. Now, was it the ice cap melted and covered the earth with 150 feet of water? If you lost the ice caps right now, maybe the sea level will go up five, six, seven feet, but not that much. Something was here, something was brought here, something big happened, and it wiped out a whole lot of things, but it's all popping back. All this stuff is coming up now. All this stuff can't be, can't be hidden anymore. If you want something for you and your viewers to take a look at, go online and type in British Minister of Defense. When the British Minister of Defense pops up, punch in UFO. Okay. You'll also see on there the British Ministry of Defense and several prime ministers on there. And uh, you take it from there. I'll give you an idea of what's going on. What you should do a so documentary here. on all this because that actually check, would check, be... Check this out. Are you going to do a documentary on all this? Uh, you... No, there's more people that are more advanced on, uh, uh, in that subject than I am right now. So, so Check it out. Just check I, it out. I'm, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm going to check it out, definitely. But, but it also kind of shows me, you know, obviously you've achieved great success and great success happens by being as rational as possible in terms of building, you know, companies with thousands of people, motivating them, leading sure. them, executing on products, you know, selling all over the world. That requires, you know, great intelligence, great rational behavior, great uh, ability to understand emotionally the people around you and work with, you know, people you love and trust and so on. Um, but also what you're telling me shows you have this real, and, and stuff we discussed before the podcast, which we'll get to by the end of the podcast, you have this amazing open mind where 
you'll take in, it seems like you take in an idea and you instantly start churning what, what, what pushing the edges on what you can do with this idea. And so it might be an idea like what's going on, what happened 10,000 years ago, or it might be an idea of how can we find oil ecologically safe, or it might be an idea. How can we provide a uh, medical service to a billion people in, in India? Yeah. So, so what's, what do you think is, how do you, how do you exercise your creativity? Cause I always feel it's a sort of muscle. Maybe, maybe you don't agree. Maybe you've, maybe you've had it from the beginning. Being on your planet, our planet, being on the planet earth here. Okay. One could, are you an alien? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm as human as you are. Okay. <laughs> there may be some hybrid in there, but I don't know about that. Right. Okay. Anyways, uh, being on this planet, we get to experience everything we want, especially being in America, which is a free country. So you could go from homelessness to billionaire. You go from fat person to skinny person, you do anything you really want to do. But the thing is to leave yourself open to the universe. Every morning when I wake up or most mornings when I wake up, up. I'll wake up, do what most people do. You go to the bathroom first. Then I'll usually try and go right back to bed. And for just a few minutes, it's almost like a mantra where I say to myself or out loud, if there's not too many people around, creator of souls, thank you for this life you've given me and just show me the truth. And then for two minutes, I try and have a blank mind. That's hard to do because things run through our mind. So I'll be in a room and I'll look at the wall. I'll look at the TV set. I'll look at the drape and, I'll, and to get back into I'm here in present time and try and clear my mind where there's nothing on my mind for two minutes. Not think about what I'm doing for the day and then go about my day. A lot of accidents happen in our days. The accidents that happen sometimes are a good one. Like we turn right, not left. I was fired from this job. To start Paul Mitchell, I was fired from three jobs. Three companies fired me, okay? One, because I complained about them testing on animals. They shouldn't do it, right? But I learned something from all three companies. When I started Paul Mitchell, had I not been with all three companies, it would have been impossible to start Paul Mitchell with nothing or even millions of dollars. Well, I had the knowledge. It was it came my way. I was open to the universe, and, but I didn't know it at the time. But later on, it said, of course, that was brought out for me. So there's something called fate. There's something called fate. Well, and I, I believe that be, in, in your case in particular, because in all of those companies, you were a sales guy. And, in, and even in one case for Collier's encyclopedia, you were selling door to door for, yep. for three years when yep. the average tenure you mentioned was three weeks because three days, were, three days, <laughs> because people were just quick. Like Commission I was, only, you know, so. look, I once did phone sales. I quit in three hours. So, uh, uh, you know, that must've just made hardcore your ability to sell it. You're knocking on a door, someone answers who clearly doesn't want to talk to you yeah. and you have to convince them to buy 17 books or, or 26, <laughs> 24, books. 24, 24 plus yearbooks for 10 years. Right. So, so, so we'll get into the, the Paul Mitchell and the billionaire stuff, but like, how do you, how do you build up the ability to sell, to be such a great salesman, to sell door to door like that? Like what's, how do you sell? If I had to sell door to door right now, what should I do? Okay, well, first thing you do is know this, and it's the rule to success in the world. Be prepared for a lot of rejection. If you're prepared for a lot of rejection, it's not going to affect you. An example, uh, in my early 20s, it's 20 years old, I get out of the Navy, and I go to work for College Encyclopedia. It's door-to-door sales commission only. Your training program, you get no money for. You have to memorize stuff for four days. But they told me, and I believe what they said. They said, first of all, did you have a set of encyclopedias? I said, no, because we, we were poor. We had nothing, you know? They said, would it have helped? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have to do homework at the library, you know, at the school. They said, well, you, what we have is 
good. And the Collier's, anyone could read. It's a high school level, not college. And it's God, everyone should have one of these. They said, but we're going to tell you, very few people make it. The ones that make it big are the ones that know you're going to have a lot of doors closed in your face, but you must be just as enthusiastic on door 51 or 98 if 97 uh, were closed in front of you. What was your rejection rate? Oh, at, the, at front, probably uh, 99% because it took me days to get into the first door. But I believed them. I said, okay, they said that's what it takes to make it. So it took a week before I got in the first door and made my first sale. And I was out of money, so I really needed that sale. But then as you got better at what you do, now maybe I had to knock on 20 doors that where someone was there to get into one. At first, I'd have to do 20 presentations to sell one set of books. Then I got down to if I could give three presentations, I'll at least get one out of three. So it's a matter of believing and knowing that you're going to get rejection. If you're prepared for it in anything you do, whether starting a business or your own personal life, if you know you get rejection, you're ready for it, you blow it off. And you know, well, I'm going to get rejection. No big deal. I'm going to move on eventually. How, how did you move from uh, 99 door slam to, to, you know, to 20 to, you know, how did you kind of was it something you said when you when they yeah. opened the door, or was it a confidence yeah, thing? It, it's or? Co it was a combination of the two. At first, I was very, very scared. <laughs> you know, so hi, they could read I, that on yeah, you. Yeah, hi, you know, they could read it, boy. Like, I wasn't persuasive at all. But as it went along, uh, you know, I realized I was having fun. Now they're going to close the door in my face. What the heck? Hi, my name is you know is JP, and uh, I'm here with a new educational program coming in the air. I just like to take a few minutes and and show you guys, get your opinion of it. What do you think? You know, or something like that. I want to make it easy easier and easier and easier, but still remain truthful. Why did you say, and I know we're getting into the weeds with this, but why did you say a new educational program in the area as opposed to have Collier's Encyclopedia? Only one guy ever asked me, are you selling something? And if so, what are you selling? I said, Encyclopedia. He goes, you hit the right door. I love books. Come on in. Because people wouldn't let you through the door. If they thought you were selling, are they selling they, as, as opposed to like you telling them information. Yeah, here, I'm here to sell you a set of encyclopedias. Would you like to see them? No, thank you. Goodbye. So you have to get them interested. So it was, it's an educational program. It's unique. It'll only take a few minutes. And then in the matter of the first 10 minutes, I show them enough in a prospectus book to get their attention. If they're interested, then I will continue to go on. If not, politely thank them for their time and effort to move. And then you also had this idea in your head that if you were a kid with these encyclopedias, your whole life would have been better. So it you had that it, enthusiasm. It would have helped. Oh yeah. I knew it would have, I would have loved to have a set of books in my house. We didn't, we, we didn't have any money. So, so I believed it was good for everybody. So that's why I could tell a story with belief because I believed it. So you're saying, did you say the ratio was I love this ratio, 20 to three to one, like we're 20 doors opened, three, let you in one sale. Yeah. That was where I got down to. Cause you know, I I've actually written that exact ratio before. And I find when selling companies, that's a good ratio. Like if you make 20 calls to people who are probably interested, if you get three meetings, you'll get one offer. Very good. So it's a similar type of, uh, like I worked for an M and a guy for a while and it was a similar type of ratio. <clears throat> so, um, but you also have the personality. You got, you have the smile, and the personality. So that helps out too. Yeah. But it's maybe I didn't at first. Like, I don't know. You probably did all the time. I don't know. You, you, again, you have to at first I, was I don't even know what I look like at first. I was just afraid till I got used to doing it, you know, then it was fine. So, so, okay. Then you work for these, these companies. Mm -hmm. Um, and each one, it seems like you were doing better and better at sales. You, there was one point in the movie, good fortune, where I thought to myself, he's definitely getting fired. And that's when 
when you were making more money than the CEO of the company. Yeah. You cannot make more money than the person who's paying you yeah. or else they're going to fire you. That's yeah, like yeah. rule number one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he was very foolish because I worked for only $3,000 a month salary, which was low. I left a higher paying job for that. And 6% of new sales. I tripled the size of his company. So yeah. I got that extra 6% of all the new sales, not existing sales. He just said, oh my God, now it's ongoing business, which means the next year I'd only get 6% off new sales. So each time I got that, I may have made more than him, but that following year, he's going to make more than me. So he, so he was, but that's the case. People are irrational in general, and you have to kind of use your rational behavior to, to work around the people who are irrational. Two years, three years after I started John Paul Mitchell Systems, that same particular gentleman called me on the phone and said, I'd like to give you half my company free. Will you come and run it for me? Do what you did for Paul Mitchell. I said, no, I mean, I'm doing this with Paul Mitchell now, but thank you anyways. I wish you good luck. And I think they're out of business. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about Paul Mitchell. So Paul Mitchell from everything I could understand, he's like, he was like, like the artist, like the, the, the Picasso of, you know, hair products, haircutting, hairstyling. He kind of knew, knew what to do with the times and the times were, were changing seventies, eighties and so yep. on. Like hair was going from the fifties kind of clean cut to, to everything. Exactly. You know, it was hair was like a work of art, you know, for like, yeah, you know, whether it was heavy metal or punk or whatever sure, and, big and hair. culture was, was following that. So, so. You meet Paul Mitchell, I guess, at a conference? Or? Yeah, I met him my first year in the professional beauty industry. Nine years later, we started a company together. He was my buddy. Paul was a very avant-garde hairdresser and a teacher where he would have seminars to teach people. So let's say maybe 5% of all the hairdressers in the United States thought he was the best. They were very avant-garde because he took steps to do things that were unreal. Okay, anyways. Like we, what? Uh, well, for example, he would take somebody's head like Miss Jean Bride, know her exact name, and he would, with a, with a razor and, of course, uh, you know, lotion, put a star in her head and then make it red around the star so the star really bounced out and you see her skin and then her beautiful hair around her, beautiful long blonde hair around, like unusual things. Uh, we started something called hair sculpting. When we started our business, Paul got a hold of this really hard, heavy setting lotion, right? And put it on hair so you could, with your fingers, design your hair with this lotion. Go under your hair dryer that you sit, that salons had just to sit under, right? Dry it, and then all of a sudden you have these waves. And then one day we came up with a formula through some friends of mine uh, and this other product we got that didn't flake. So we had a stylist. mean? And it was like if you put gel on your hair or, or a, a lot or things like that or lotions and they dry, that when you comb your hair, it flakes. It's flaky. It flakes mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. So we got one that didn't flake. So you could sculpt your hair, design your hair. It didn't flake. And uh, you didn't have to blow dry. You could just walk away. When you combed it, you had the same style in it, but it was a full head. So mm -hmm. so there's a couple things to unpack there. You said with the help of some of your friends. Yeah. What's... I mean, it's just friends on the corner who like had some gel that uh, you can't no, really no, mix No, no, these are buddies of mine that I knew in the beauty industry. They used to hang out with, you know, have a little you know, sip of wine or other things. So we just hang out there and some were top scientists. And we got all this one product no one did anything with that had little to no flake on it. And I brought it to them and I said, guys, how do we make it zero flake? They said, oh, just instead of 20 points of a percent, I just make it uh half of that is still going to work good, but then increase this. So it's a better hold. So, yeah, so we tried it. So, so like unpacking this, there's, there's Paul Mitchell, who's a genius, then great, then, great hairstylist, one of the best in the world. Right. And then, but then you, he needed you to kind of productize a little bit what he was doing. And, and you had to have like, you had to basically say to yourself, okay, there's some science involved. 
I have connections that I could call who will help me and, and figure this out. You could sit around that's a table correct. and figure it out. And that's so that's, that's part of the, the formula there somehow. That's right. It was the best partnership in the world. Paul didn't do business, period. I didn't do hair. I wasn't talented enough to be a hairstylist, okay? In fact, one day after a couple of years, I was at almost every show Paul did showing people how to do hair and all. And then he would show me at the same time after a couple of years said, JP, don't ever lose your daytime job. You do not have the talent to be a hairdresser. Stay a businessman. <laughs> well, well, but what's interesting too is though, good. then it's not just that you had this sales ability or management ability. You also knew how, who to call to really make something a unique product. Sure. And well, how do you cultivate that? Like, like there's a story, like, it's not just going to networking conventions. How do you, you, you know, you had been in the, in on and off in the hair business for nine years at that point. Like, how did you cultivate relationships that you could, that you knew you could call to help you and they were friendly and they helped you. There's some, there's something there. I don't know. I had how no to idea. It. One of the guy's name is Ron, Ron DeSalvo. He worked with one of my companies, just became great buddies, had no idea. I'd ever call on him for some advice. And one day I did, I said, Ron, you know, and he was living on a boat, by the way. Ron is really cool. He lived on a boat. And he said, oh, JP, here's the supercharged condition you need. Let me give you a couple formulas as a, as, as a gift. Here, JP, love you, brother. You know, let's have another bottle of wine together. And then and then you took that to a chemist who mixed the formulas? Yeah, and then and the way I found the right people was being in the industry, I knew some of them, but I asked others, are there smaller groups at private label that I could work with that are, you know, a little more, shall we say, hungrier? where I could warehouse at that location whenever I buy because I don't have a warehouse. And, you know, that's how I found people. And I went to talk to them, told them what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it, and, uh, you know, little by little. So now you have Paul Mitchell. You have the product. Uh, you told Paul you needed a, uh, you felt you needed a half a million dollars to start the business. You got a commitment. The commitment fell through. This fell was through. 1980 or 1981 1980, or whatever. Yeah. It, was, it was one of the worst recessions ever until, until recently. And uh, at that point, you had kind of, you figured, okay, my life's going to be great. It's going to start over. And, and, and then everything fell through. Yep. And this was the second time you went homeless right at the beginning of, of starting John Paul Mitchell systems. That's correct. And were you depressed? No, I was bummed out. Like, oh no, I'd left whatever money I had behind in the house. I went on a own with a couple hundred bucks. I just said, okay, this has got to work somehow. It's somehow it's got to work. I'm going to make it work. And uh, I think the movie says it, that uh, I called up the guy that was going to give us 100,000 bottles, reduced it to only 10,000. I did it everywhere along the way. Everyone thought we were going to be gigantic. I never said the guy didn't come through with the money. And I went out there knocking door to door, beauty salon to beauty salon, like I did selling encyclopedias. Paul did the same thing in Hawaii. He was living in Hawaii at the time, door to door. When he came to the United States, we would do a show together. Uh, you know, like I'd hold the light, Paul would do the show, something like that, right? And after the show, Paul and I would stick around for a couple of days and go in the field knocking door to door to salons, presenting our new product. It was the same thing. You know, most of the salons had the big companies. Nah, we don't need you. But there was that 10th or 11th or 12th one that said, yeah, we'll give it a try. So like uh, you go up to a hair salon and, so, and we're kind of skipping over things. I'm going to go back and forth. You go up to a hair salon and I'm just fascinated by that initial thing where in those first five seconds they have to get go from hating you to annoying you to being really curious about what you're saying you want to know what i said to him yeah sure hi my name is john paul DiGioria. just want to take a minute of your time 
With the top hairdresser, Paul Mitchell, most heard about him, some didn't, right? We've developed the most unique product line ever for salons. Here's Shampoo One. I immediately go at it. Here's Shampoo One. This particular shampoo, you only need once, not twice. It saves you money and time at the back bar. This one is for normal to color treated hair. Here's Shampoo Two. Here's what it does. So you're solving this, their problems. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, but here's the big one. Look at this. And I opened the little top of the conditioner. I said, let me have your hand. In my hand, I put the sides of a dime. In their hand, I put the sides of a dime, right? Now, they have this in their hand. They don't know what the hell to do with it. Within two minutes, it's in their hand, right? Now, I've got a captive audience. They don't know what to do with this. It's in their hand. And I tell them, this is the most unique conditioner ever made. When you condition hair at the back basin, you put conditioner on, you wait 10 minutes, you rinse it off. Time and money. See this here? This is a protein treatment, a nucleic acid treatment, a moisturizer. It lets you cut the hair faster. You don't rinse it out. So when you blow dry the hair, it helps protect the hair. By the way, now rub your hands together. Now they know what to do, right? You've just helped neutralize all the chemicals in your body. Put it on your skin. It's good for skin, too. What does it mean? Even Like even the words that, you're that, using, that, though, that's, neutralize that's all the chemicals in your body. What does that mean? It means that hairdressers are constantly putting their hands in chemicals, like when they do permanent uh. waves or color, right? Well, if there's little on them, this neutral, it had a pH of 4.5 or 5.5. So when you put it on your hands, it neutralized anything that had a higher pH or a lower pH. It was neutralized. So you you so you go in there, you saw you you within seconds, you're telling them you could solve a major problem they have, time. At the back bar, and or we only have three products to start with. Yeah, and, and then and then there's something else you did interesting, which which you you when you put the uh, conditioner, conditioner in their in the palm of their hand, their brain is now telling themselves, "I'm the type of person to let this guy put something in my hand, <laughs> that some chemical in my hand." So they're going to now be there. They have a cognitive bias to now want to like you, or else they just let a complete stranger put Good a chemical point. on their hand. I put it in my hand first. Uh -huh. I, I say, see. I want to show you this. Look, see what I put in my hand? Let me show you in your hand. I put it in my hand first, so there's no doubt it's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And so now, they're, like you say, they're a captive audience. It's like you're you're, you're, you're providing value, but all, there's a little bit of hypnosis going on there. For those that will talk to me, a lot of them say, no, I'm sorry, I'm really busy, but thanks anyways, you know, but though, usually I'll get someone to talk to me. And then once they order, uh, did you find that they would reorder? Well, I wanted to be in the reorder business. I tell everybody, don't go in the selling business, go in the reorder business, which means your product or service must be so good that people want to reorder it because we had no money for advertising. Okay. So the way it worked was this. I sold a little to the salon. They wrote me a check. All right. Now I still needed a distributor. I, w I finally, after several days or a week, sold 12 salons, anywhere from $30 to 125 bucks. Right. But I had 12 checks in my hand. Then I went down to a big distributor and said, I'd like you to be my distributor. Here's the new Paul Mitchell product line. And of course he said, no. I went to Paris A, Speedy Supply, the biggest in LA. He said, no. He says, why? I have all these other big lines. Uh, you know, and I don't want to promote a new line that has no advertising, no nothing behind it other than three unique products and you selling it. I said, I want to tell you why you want to take it. And I stuck in front of him 12 checks with blank on top, but the amount's already filled in, and a copy of the 12 orders. I said, that's your first 12 accounts. They're yours, and the checks are yours. If you'll order $2,000 from me, you could have the exclusive on LA, and I'll be here every day selling with your salesman, teach him how to do it. He laughed his head off and says, okay, I'll take it. But then we needed money. We needed money. In the beauty industry, they pay their bills in 45 days. 
So I calculated this in advance. So I increased my prices by 5%. And I said, we really need the money. Would you mind paying me when the product's delivered? He says, no, we're Paris A. Speedy supply, we pay in 45 days. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do here. I'll give you a 5% discount immediately, immediately. But we really need the money and I'll be here every day selling it with you. He laughed and said, okay. And as it says so in Good Fortune, the movie, within three, four minutes, his warehouse called him and said, there's some guy back here unloading products on our uh, on our, our shelf here, our delivery shelf. He wants a check for 2,000 bucks. And he said, that's JP he was just in my office five minutes ago. He's well, he just delivered it out of the back of his car. He came back laughing his head off and gave me the check. So, 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 you I mean, think- basically he did it because he liked you. Yeah. Um, and he needed an excuse. You gave him an excuse with the 5% discount that didn't make or break his business on such a small, uh, product, but he, yeah. he, he liked you. Yeah. So what, what do you think was that? How did you, how did you build that spark right away with him? I just liked being there. He was the most important person in the world. If he interrupted me, I just listened to every word he said. Whereas I made him the most important person in the world, and I was happy. I was happy to be with him, happy to meet him, and I was just a happy guy. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But... It was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like, if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long 
and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Why do you think you were so happy? I, I think most of, my, most of my life I've been that way though. I've been pretty happy. When you're down and out, like you're really down and out, you have nothing, you get so low, it could be a blue song that you look up, you see an ant crawling over you. You can only go up. Huh. You can only go up. I mean, that's that's a good philosophy. And people listening to this could say, well, that's easy for him to say now. He's multi-billionaire, does all this stuff. But you really feel like you were that way back then. I mean, obviously you were because otherwise uh, you wouldn't have been able to make these sales and so John on. Capra says it best. John Capra's known me for almost 50 years. He's on the on it. He says, I knew JP when had absolutely nothing at homeless. You would never know he was homeless from his attitude. You would never know it. He would never tell anybody. Right. It's, he even said a, if you had told him, he would have offered you like room in his anything, house. Anything. My so, mom, I couldn't even tell my mother. I was embarrassed to tell my mom. That's why I slept in my car. And my mom had an extra room. I was just too embarrassed. Why were you embarrassed? Well, because I was doing extremely well in life for many, many years. And all of a sudden I'd leave a situation domestically I wasn't happy in, left the money, left the house, left everything because I had all this money coming down the hill and it didn't come in. I was embarrassed. I didn't want her to know that. And so, so in terms of, so when you first negotiated from the hundred thousand bottles from your manufacturer down to, to the 10,000, 10, yeah. um, how did you, like, that's a very critical thing too, because they might not want to they may only want to deal with people who are ordering hundred thousand. Like, how did you, you are so right. It's a good question. I should have brought it up before I said, instead of getting my original order, I need a sample order of only 10,000 for samples. They said, mm -hmm. Oh, of course, 10 sample makes sense. We'll give you the same price as a hundred thousand. 
I called it so, a sample order. So sample is like a magic word there. Yeah, sample order. Sample, the word, the, the word by itself saved you like, I don't know, half a million dollars. It probably saved my whole business because yeah. we didn't have any business. We had no money. The like backer pulled out. Didn't so, ever give us a dime. So, so you've listed like almost an enormous amount of skills just to kind of get to this point. Like you had the connections with, with Paul Mitchell, the best hairdresser in the world. Let's just call him that for a second. You had connections with these chemists and, and you were able to find a private label uh, manufacturer to, to make you bottles and then mm -hmm. agreed to make you a smaller amount. You had connections to get an investment that did fall through, but mm -hmm. you, you convinced them, but then it fell through. You had connections to kind of go door to door and start selling, but then leverage that selling to get a distributor. And what does the distributor do for you? They then call up their they 10, buy it from salons. You and their salesmen call in all the salons. And what did you have to do after that other than just keep delivering them more and more products? Well, I went with the salesman. Every distributor we opened up, I was with the salesman at least one or two weeks every day, either with a different salesman or if they had very few salesmen, I'd spend a couple days with the salesman. They would watch me sell. And by the end of the day, I'd have them give me a presentation. So when I leave, they would continue to offer my product and show it the same way I did. So In fact, you know, The Good Fortune is a great movie to see. You can get it on iTunes or Amazon has Good Fortune. I think it's like four yeah, yeah, I like watched that. it on Amazon. But I think, but everyone should watch because it shows them America works. You said something also about connections. I had a lot of connections, but there were a lot of connections I did not have. But I went after to find out who they were. You know, like who would be the person I need to speak to? Are there two or three? Then I would go until I found the one that would talk to me. Okay, so so at this point. You've got the distributor, and 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 the salesman didn't mind you going along with they them. They loved it. Are you kidding? the guy selling product for them. They loved it. Because it benefits them because they get sure. paid off of sales. Exactly. Because I think a lot of people, once they get the distributor, they probably think, okay, they'll sell. They'll figure out how to sell. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to go get the next distributor, or I'm going to sit back and let them send me checks. They don't realize there's that extra component. Yeah, well, you got to hold a sales meeting to start with. But mm -hmm. other than selling the sales meeting to be successful, go in the field of the salespeople. See what it's like. See what their problems are. But more than likely, you're learning and overcoming him in front of them and they're learning the same thing and then after the, the day's done you have them present right back to you or the last salon why don't you make the presentation i'll back you up on it and my guess is when the day's done too you're taking them out for a drink you're being their friend they want to sell for you more than the other 20 hair products they were selling yeah in the very beginning they took me out for a drink because they knew we were poor we didn't have any money i told them that, while i'm driving around they told them the whole story they said oh you, you gotta be kidding i said no that's what they said <laughs> And so when they said, sell a little bit here and I'll take you for a drink. I mean, we slept on people's couches. We didn't have any money for hotel rooms. We had friends all over the place. And so, and so when did you, when did you, and then when did you and Paul realize, Hey, this might work two years in business, two years. I'll never forget the day we had money in the bank, $2,000 extra for Paul and I, and all of our bills were paid on time. They weren't paid off, but it was paid on time. To be able to not call someone up and say, give me one more day, the check's gonna really come, I swear I'll deliver it myself. Yeah, you said that for two years, right? Our bills were paid on time, and we had $2,000 left, and we said each. And we thought, my God, we have it made now. Now we just really- Were you paying made. yourselves? Oh, only what it costs to live off of. Uh -huh. The bare minimum. Did Paul ever get frustrated like, you know, JP, you told me this no. would be great. Like, what's no. going on? No, not at all. Because Paul would do a beauty show and he got to keep all the money they paid him to do the beauty show. So you, your goal really was to make everyone happy. Yeah. And then during this time, did you ever think to yourself, who's making me happy? 
Like no, never entered my mind. I was just content. I think the day I started John Paul Mitchell Systems was the last day I've ever worked in my life because I love what I did so much. I just look forward to doing more and more and more. And I guess you must have felt good from even though, like you say, it took two years before you felt like, hey, this is this is now we we're, we're making it. Even though it took two years before you had that feeling, probably that sense of accomplishment, like getting that first hair salon to buy from you getting the, the distributor to take that discount and oh, yeah. and stock probably all these things felt felt good and kept you moving huge they felt huge and but, but there must have been failures along the way like maybe one distributor said no so before the first distributor like i don't know like maybe how did you keep yourself going on the small failures uh before well, you had it made example in texas we had a distributor a small distributor and after three months he said guys you're not going to make it with three or four products i'm dropping your line so instead of saying, oh my God, what are we going to do now, right? My thought was, okay, who do I get to replace them? What's available? Who's in the town? Who do we know? What distributors there? And that was my only thought was, okay, now how do I rectify this? In other words, it's a problem. I got to solve it. Opposed to sitting around, and, and that's a problem. I deal with a lot of homeless. I have homeless shelters that I've built for uh, homeless with permanent housing, nice little houses in Texas called uh, Mobile Loaves and Fishes community first mobile loaves and fishes Mo yeah it's called community first we built about 250 homes all little homes that we will give to a homeless person to live in charge them 90 dollars a month they can live there forever three rules no drugs no alcohol and no fighting you can live there forever three rules right to get in there you have to be without a shelter for at least one year because we want those that really need it badly. But what if someone doesn't have $90 a month? They can't pay the rent. We want them to pay the rent because they're part of the community if you donate and you spend time and money. Now they feel it's not charity. They're part of it. They take care of it. So what do we have? Gardens to work on. We sell the product. We eat the product. Metal shop, wood shop. We put together an auto shop. People come by for their yearly inspections, oil changes, things like that. We give them something to make the money. Now they could pay their $90 a month rent and at the same time, have extra money left over and now have a brand new life. I'm going to tell you a very quick story because your listeners will love it. Our first person went in there about almost two years ago. This guy just got off being a drunk. He sobered up with us. He was ready to die, this guy, right? Anyways, he came to Alan, who runs the whole thing, Alan Graham, and said, Alan, I, I'm leaving my house. Alan said, you're our poster boy. You have this neat little house we built for you. You can live in it forever. You know, it's perfect. Why? He says, I came here dying. I sobered up because I had to be sober to stay here. I got a job. I've got a girlfriend. I'm making money. I could actually afford my own little apartment. He says, I can never pay you guys back and all the people that helped make this happen. I never can for saving my life. The only thing I could do is this. I'm giving up what's most precious to me right now so someone else's life will be saved. That's my way of giving back. That that's a great story, and and you know it's interesting that you that sobriety is such an important part of of this because I think that's a lot of programs might miss that because a you own a ton of alcohol companies yeah. like are you sober? Am I sober? Yeah, do you drink? No, but I'm lucky not to have the disease of uh, mm -hmm. of addiction. Oh, I drink moderately. I mean, I'm not a drunk. I drink moderately, but I'm lucky not to have the disease. Alcoholism is a disease. And so, I mean, I, I have to then now ask the elephant in the room, which is like, you, you've made a lot of money off of, you know, your incredible spirits companies, your alcohol companies. How do you kind of justify that you could be feeding into various addictions? How, how do I justify that I don't feed into it? Yeah. I'm not, a, I don't have an addictive personality. But, but you're selling alcohol obviously to people who, who do, but you're, but 
I mean, obviously they would replace your alcohol with whatever, and maybe they're not buying high-end alcohol if they're an, an addict, but you know, I, you know one, it's an addiction, it's a disease, alcohol is a drug, what, we, but you're making a lot of money off this. One of the reasons Patron was started is people that are used to drinking tequila get a whole bunch of shots. The next day they walk backwards. They have the worst hangover in the world. Dan Aykroyd said it best. He says, JP, I don't really like tequila. I had experience with the Technicolor mule down in Tijuana once. It's not my trip. I said, just taste Patron. I said, it's a sipping tequila. So people that drink Patron, because it's a sipping high quality tequila, don't do it to get drunk. They sip it to enjoy it. Big difference between something cheap to get you drunk. Now, I'm sure some people do, but you don't even get a headache. Now, if you drink half the bottle or the whole bottle, obviously you're not going to feel good. But I thought, wow, this is cool. It's high end, but you could sip it and not just start doing shots or mix it in margaritas with sweet stuff so you don't feel good the next day. It's a really clean way to get a little buzz. So, so, so I don't really drink, and, I, and I've never, I don't think I've ever even drunk tequila, but what should I, I'm going to, tonight, it's a Friday night, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a bottle of some Patron. What should I buy? What you should do is this, uh, just get a normal tequila, whatever, and buy a simple Patron Silver. Patron Silver will cost you about $50, a bottle of Patron Silver, just a regular silver. Chill it or put it over ice cubes. Drink it straight. Don't mix it. I want you to taste it, right? And the first little sip you take will help readjust your taste buds. The second sip you take, now you're feeling more of the agave coming in. You can actually taste the agave taste. And it's a sipping one. You don't down it. You don't have to mix it with stuff. You don't do shots of it. No, you can if you want, but you're wasting it. Why? It's it's like cognac. You want to sip it, not shoot it. Now you want to mix it with something. The perfect recipe for the best margarita in the world is you put a shot of Patron in there. You put a quarter ounce of lime juice and a quarter ounce of pineapple juice. Shake it up freezing cold, freezing cold, right? And then just turn the whole thing upside down with ice cubes and all and put it in a tall glass and drink it. It'll be the best margarita you've ever had in your life. Oh my God, I'm going to do that tonight. All right, thank you Patron for that. Patron Silver, <laughs> great. So, so, you know, you're, there's so many different directions to go, but I'm, I'm fascinated. Like what, what really comes out is A, your charisma, which fuels the sales and negotiations and everything. And I think that's, that's so valuable. I could, I could ask you more about that, but also your creativity, like everything you're looking at, whether it's alcohol or, you know, building homes for the homeless or phones, which we'll talk about in a second, or all these different businesses that you've started. Uh, what's, and I hate to put it this way, cause it almost sounds, uh, uh, cliche, but what's a day in the life of a billionaire like how do you keep you you're how old are you right now you're like 74 years old yep 74 so so you're like the most energetic guy i've seen like what how, how do you keep the energy up what do you do what's what's you wake up um, you, you do that uh you, you go to the bathroom you go back to bed you do that mantra um you know kind of asking what can the universe show you what's next uh, then I go about my day, whatever my day might be. It's usually, you know, going in and, you know, maybe getting a little bit of breakfast or something. I just go about my day. What and, do you uh, eat for breakfast? Uh, well, it depends. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate where I have a, a chef. He's a real good one. Okay. So sometimes for example, Wolfgang make, Pot comes over. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, he, he makes me, for example, like a, a fruit smoothie, but out of all the good stuff, right. Or maybe one day I'll have a poached egg and I pop the yellow out of it because someone said yellow is not good for you. Sourdough bread, well toasted, little bit of fresh butter and olive oil. Mmm, really good. <laughs> so keep it simple. Pardon? You keep it simple. Yeah, so I just simple as can be. I'm a simple guy. Then I'd say my diet is probably 90% vegetarian. 
Okay. And I, I mean, I still, you know, every now and then like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, but 90% is vegetarian. It's Raw, very steamed, cooked? All. Okay. Well, nothing in particular. And, and, and then what, what's next? Uh, then the, if I'm in a, uh, for example, call, uh, if I have something to do in Europe and I'm at home in Austin, Texas, and my office is there too, I will call Europe because it's seven to eight hours later, Right. you know, sometimes six, depending on where Europe I'm calling. So I'll do those calls out of the way. But most of what I do is philanthropically motivated or public relations motivated. That's most of what I do to try and deliver a message to people of what works. And I also, of course, obviously lecture at universities and for agencies of our federal government on how to have fewer moving parts in business. Like what's an example with the government? Uh, FBI. Uh, I, I've trained them more than once. Uh, CIA also. To... It's all on man. I'm not an agent of either agency. Okay. I, 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 I trained them on management motivation, how to be a, a kinder, more loving manager, handle a piece of paper once. So to the CIA. Yeah. So, okay. You go into the CIA. They ask you to come in because you're the head of John Paul Mitchell Hair Systems. It almost sounds like the beginning of a joke. I'm the head of a hair products company. CIA, I go into the CIA, and what do they ask you to do? Gladly tell you that, okay? Uh, it was first time And I'm in, not saying this in a no, negative way. I'm for, fascinated. For, first time in was 1999, and uh, Buzzy Krongard was the executive director of the CIA. He and I were part of 22 people that supported and took care of our special operations force of the world from the United States. If they were ever hurt or injured or killed in the line of duty, we make sure the wife and kids are always okay. Get into college, no one messes with them. So, and I, we, I'd speak with them. Well, Buzzy said, JP, because he heard one of my management seminars, would you mind coming to the CIA and holding a little special thing for us there? I said, not at all. He says, can you give us an hour? I said, I'll give you all day long. So I went there, met George Tennant, who was director of the CIA, wonderful fellow, went into what's called the bubble. It's a special big room that sits about a thousand people. And uh, I said, and they filmed it for me, but they blewed out the audience because they're CIA people. So you just blew them out. You can't see the audience is all blue. And uh, and I did it. And uh, two weeks after 9-11, they called me on the phone again and said, JP, we're going through some changes now with 9-11. Would you mind coming in and talking to our upper management staff on how to deal with change and have your people love you and everyone's happy because we're all moping around right now. And not all of us, a lot of us are. And I went in there. I took their upper management and I did a whole uh, series of uh, programs on how you deal with change, uh, how well, change. What's the first thing you tell them? I'm sorry to interrupt. I always interrupt, but I'm just Oh, no, it's it. easy. Uh, I couldn't remember exactly what, but I would normally start by saying, Here's what we want to cover and why, and here's how simple it is. And we have to realize something. You cannot change yesterday's newspapers. I don't care how much you think about it. You're not going to change it. It's like me when I had no money. I wouldn't go to sleep at night. I'd think over and over and over again how I can't pay my bills and what am I going to do? Did it help? No. <laughs> did it pay the bill? No. So what did I do? I got a piece of paper with all the things I wanted to do, all the things that are bugging me, wrote it on a piece of paper, taped it to my bathroom mirror, so I could go to sleep. I'm not going to forget about it. It's sitting on the mirror. But you can't change it. But what you can change is what would you have done differently from this day forward? How could you communicate better from this day forward? And I also teach them how to reprimand people and praise people. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. If you're reprimanded because you did something wrong and you're reprimanded in front of somebody else, man, they hate you. You have covert hostility immediately. You embarrass them in front of somebody else. So I teach them, and it's one of my management things. Whenever you reprimand somebody, do it behind closed doors, one-on-one, -on -one, but three things have got to be there. 
they've got to leave happy after you told them what they screwed up on, right? How do you here's, make them leave happy? Here's what you do. Number one, you tell them what they did wrong. A lot of people do stuff they don't know it's wrong. Tell them what they did wrong, and then second of all, tell them how to do it right, but why you think it's better to do it this way. So they immediately know what they did wrong. They know how to do it right in the event they didn't know how to do it before and why you do it this way. But the third is the most critical. You must know before they walk into that room one-on-one, -on -one, something they do great. The last thing you tell them is this, man, you are so good at coming in on time at dealing with people. So for you to throw away all these books you shouldn't be throwing away for years, uh, shouldn't be. You're too good at everything else you do. I expect someone as good as you to at least know this and maybe you didn't know it before, so I'm letting you know. But man, you knock it out of the socks when it comes to this or that or something great they do. They walk out knowing you acknowledge them, you know that they're great, that they, they don't suck, that they're good, you know, and so they, they walk away happy. And so at any point, like when you're even telling them what they did wrong, if they start to get defensive right away, you could go go into number three, like, listen, I get no, it, but you no, do this great. No, no. If no. they defend, say, no problem, I can understand that. I just want to tell you how I see it and how we think it should be done. Regardless of the reason, I just want to tell it to you. After that's all over with, then the last thing is mm. you tell them what they do great. If you tell them while they're complaining, you're trying to apologize, yeah, he's trying to you know, smooth me over. You tell them like it is. Tell them how to do it right. Let them tell you whatever they want and listen. When they talk, you got to listen to them. A lot of people don't listen. Listen to everything they have to say. I don't care how long it takes. When you're all done, then you go for the close. You are great, and they are. All people are. Find what they do really good and let them know that you know that and you appreciate it so much that you would automatically expect that they'd want to know this little thing they're not doing exactly right because it'll be as great as the other things they do. And and is this is is reprimanding the is this interwoven with praise? Like is this also how you praise? It's the opposite for praise. Okay, so tell if me. If somebody praise. does something right, you go out there and you make sure you tell them when somebody else could hear whether it's a whole room or one or two fellow employees around there. And then you tell them loudly, oh man, you did so good, Jimmy boy. Oh my God, do you know I had a customer call me and say, I cannot believe this Jimmy boy. He talked to me as a nice, as I was the most important person on the planet. I had a problem and he listened to me and I was mad and pissed off. By the time I was done, I was thanking him. Jimmy, you are a genius. I always do it when somebody else, you should too, at least one person or many other are listening or in the coffee or if they get a soda pop or somewhere where more people are listening, they feel like a million dollars. That's just some of the many things I teach in my management programs. And and so, I mean, I'm just fascinated that the the FBI and the CIA and all these places call you, but uh, okay, on, on again, your daily life, obviously you've moved beyond kind of the day-to-day -day management of your businesses. I'm sure you're very good at delegating and people rose up and, and yep. so on. And so now you're devoted to more philanthropic stuff. But I also like this idea of for-profit charity where, you know, People value what they pay for. They don't just right. want to be given something. So we talked earlier about your your phones. You're going to come back on again in a few months. We'll talk when your phones are being officially released. Right. But I can't. I you. I walked into the podcast studio. The first thing you showed me is a phone you're making. I didn't even understand. Is he just showing me like an animation on his phone or? But it's actually your phone you're making. You're building a phone company. Yes, we are. Uh, we have the most advanced telephone in the world. I've been at this for over 10 years and put over $100 million into it, okay? So, because I knew it was there. It was something great. We are releasing them. If your uh, audience wants to see it, go online to Rocket. Like a Rocket Zoom, a Rocket's taking off, you know, R-O-K-E-T, rocketphone.com, and you'll see it. 
It's a 3D telephone. It's a smartphone. You know, like you guys have these big smartphones that do everything. It's one of those. But there's a couple things we have. The others don't. One, we have 3D without glasses. You actually see 3D, like you saw today, 3D yeah. on the phone without glasses. It's amazing how it comes out of the screen, but it's not coming out. It's in the screen. And we also have what's called a bundling where we put together life insurance, telemedicine, roadside assistance, all this together for very little money on your phone. It's called bundling on a phone. Plus Wi-Fi, you have all these little extra things. These phones will be coming out the first quarter of next year. It's the most advanced phone ever. And instead of selling them for over $1,000, we're going to sell our finest phone for only $279.95. How do we do this? It takes pictures like your best phones do. How do we do this? It's a different way of marketing. These other big companies spend a fortune on advertising. That's how they get their products out. And they do a good job. Oh my God, Apple does it, Samsung does it, all the biggies do a great job advertising. Well, our model is, since I paid for it all over these years, we don't have debt. And we're, it, we're going underground, where we tell one person, show it to them, and they tell the world. When I've done TV on this, while here in New York, for example, no one could believe it's for real. They see it and say, oh my God, this is the future. You guys got it down. You have it down pat. So, so it seems like interesting, like the, the model of, it's sort of like referrals versus advertising. I think you even talk about this in Good yeah. Fortune or some other. I do other a Good Fortune that's in there. And, um, uh, you know, obviously Apple, for instance, has a great product. Uh, let's take HBO as another example. They have a great product, but they still do tons of ads, yes, advertising. Of yes, um, But you're kind of arguing that the power of the product you know you have a good business when you don't have to do advertising and the business is succeeding. Do you think these businesses would do better if you were advertising or it doesn't matter as much? Well, in my case, I started Paul Mitchell with no money, no advertising budget, so I know what it's like. In this particular case, I thought, how can I make it as inexpensive as possible with the highest quality you could ever get? It's like the reversal. You don't have to pay over $1,000 for it. And there's one way I could do it is when I launch it is not spend the 50 or $100 million I have to launch a product with, let me make it so darn good and price so right that I could be able to get it out there. And if it's that good and people think it's that cool, everyone's going to be talking about it. There's something interesting here, which is like, let's say... Then I'll advertise. Then I'll advertise for brand identification, but not to build the company. But 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 there's something interesting where, like, let's say uh, Apple puts out a new phone. I'm just using Apple as an example. Sure, I don't mean good to example. They're a great company. But, but, but let's say the next iPhone, the iPhone 11 or whatever it's called, is going to be 10% better than the old phone. Most people can't really tell the difference between something that's X or X times 10%, mm -hmm. you know, or X plus 10%. So they have to kind of advertise to sort of say, hey, it's sure. better because of these 10% small sure. increase because they sure. have to educate. Sure. But if you're, you're basically saying, make it 10 times better, not 10% better. Because this phone, what you're showing me, is like you, you, you keep listing feature after feature after feature. It's 10 times better than the phone I have in my pocket. And then you're telling me it's one-fifth the price of the phone I have in my pocket. <laughs> it's like one of those things. And it gets better because then there's one more thing. And so it's like 10 times better, and then you don't have to do the advertising. And think of it this way, too. That phone was started with philanthropy. At every Paul Mitchell school we have in the United States, three months are taken out of their whole year's curriculum to do hair and raise money for their local community, the United States, and the world. We underwrite the whole thing, so it costs them nothing, right? So it's giving. So how did I start this company with that in mind to give an example to other companies starting big companies? The first 150 phones that arrived in the United States, we handed out to homeless veterans 
disabled veterans. Just gave them the phone free with a year's free service, telemedicine, everything on it. This is your gift. Okay, we're giving to you free before we sold them one phone. So it's like we actually started this company giving things away, and we never forget about success unshared as failure all the way as we build the company up. Success Success unshared as failure. And you've been doing that from the beginning. Like I do encourage people to watch Good Fortune because there's a whole section, you and Paul building a solar-powered race car. Yes, we did. Like again, I... You're like insane, like all these ideas, and then you execute on them. Like yeah, you have you also employee, have a, yeah. not only the the charisma and the business and the management, but you have this ability to execute. Like, you know, back then we're talking about the ni- early 1980s or what yeah, mid 1980s. The, there what the solar panels weren't really strong enough no, to extract no, enough solar new. power from the That's sun. That's right, 110 so, watts. So how did you, who didn't know a thing about solar power, how did you make a solar powered race car? We, on our little farm in Hawaii, where we grew Alvapui, we went with some other guys that are really super cool guys. They're hippies, you know, and they still had the hippie life since the 1960s, and they start reading a little bit about it. Now, then we talked to some people. How do we design this car so maybe the wind could push it, and it's so light? So we ended up building a car. It cost us a couple hundred thousand dollars, but General Motors spent 12 or $15 million on theirs, okay? And we tested in Hawaii, and it was good enough to enter. In fact, I believe, even though we didn't win the race, it was the second fastest car. And so, at that time, a module, a solar panel, would be 110 watts. Today, they're like three, 400 watts per panel. So we did what best we could with the little we had, and we we just were ingenuity. So we kind of designed it so if the wind came along, it could push it a little bit, you know, and we, we experimented. So why don't you make a, I mean, it feels like there's room to make an autonomous driving solar-powered car right now. Well, what I try to do right afterwards with Salt Lake International, build a single pod little one that we could drive on the streets. The only problem with that one was the furthest we could get it going on a battery charge uh, with normal sun was maybe 50 miles maximum. And you need a little bit more of that to have a, a car to run around your city. If you were to do it right now, though, what can you do? Right now, I haven't thought about it, so I wouldn't know. I'd have to really think it out and see what's available and how it works. I know electricity is a great thing now. Uh, we have, uh, part of our car portfolio, especially my wife, we, we have uh, Teslas. Okay. You know, a Tesla's a great car. We have other cars, too. Most of my cars are old. I like oldie bookity cars, like 57 Chevys, you know, hot rods, things like that. Because <laughs> anyway. you have a lot of energy. Again, what's, yeah. what's, what do you think is the secret? When do you go to sleep at night? I sleep. I probably sleep, oh, maybe five hours a night average. Five hours is not enough. Like, I know. Do you have that gene where you don't have to sleep eight hours a night? You think no, you have that? I, I think I have it, but there are times when I'll wake up, then I'll go back to bed, and I'll sleep another hour or two real deep. But what, do, what gives you so much energy, you think? You're just so excited about everything you're working on? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, two more. I wish I tell you. I don't know. <laughs> two, two more fast questions. One of them's kind of, kind of dumb. But when you, when you first realize, oh my gosh, I think I'm a billionaire now. Did, did you change your lifestyle? Like, what did you go out and, and buy? Like, what's, what's your biggest excess? Nope. I think when I got my first just really gigantic check, especially from Patron, when Patron was sold this last year here, I only wrote one check. Only one. The rest I put away with money managers. Hey, guys, you manage this for the next year. Just don't lose any money, right? I wrote one check. That check was for $50 million. And it went into the Peace, Love, and Happiness Charitable Foundation. What's the what's the Peace, Love, and Happiness? It's uh, To be exact, it's called JP's Peace, Love, and Happiness Foundation. Okay. It's my family foundation that's strictly to change the world better for the people 
and the environment of our planet so all to make the planet better. And I've had it for a while. So you and haven't I, been tempted to like buy a sports team or no, to do no, any, no. do you have houses like in 27 countries? No. Anything like that? I have a few houses, but no, I don't, I don't need that. My, my life hasn't changed financially at all. Uh, you know, I still live the same life I, I live. And, uh, but what I can do now is with a lot of the money that I'm making off the money that I have and some of that money is help change the world. I, there's one island right now that I'm going to employ every single person on the island. And prior, I think like 80% of the island was unemployed. And I'm creating businesses down there in a complex of homes down there. It's Barbuda, the island of Barbuda, one of the most beautiful beaches where, in the world. Where is it? Antigua, Barbuda. They're right mm. next to one another, the same country. And uh, went down there with this beautiful beach, developed it, or developing it now with ecology in mind. It'll be the most ecologically balanced development ever done. But in such a way where we're going to put a golf course in with organic fertilizer on top that doesn't hurt the water table, we're putting solar energy in there, wind energy in there, every form of alternative energy you can imagine is going in there. But the whole island, we will have a job. We've already hired almost 200 of the people on the island. And by the time it's done, we will have a job for everyone that can work on that island and the islands around there because we'll need more people than the island even has. And and people that left the island because there's no work there will now be coming back. And are they part of Antigua or are they their well, own? It's Antigua, Barbuda, it's, uh, it's like two islands, one country. Okay. And then... Actually, I, I am their ambassador at large for Antigua Barbuda, and I'm letting people know they're the nicest, coolest people down there. They just love helping. Uh, that, that's excellent. I'm going to have to visit there. When's the next big party there? Uh, yeah, well, uh, probably when we open up officially, which will be in another year. So, but, but like, okay, you have, you, have, you have this charisma that I could see is useful for sales, for uh, motivating employees, obviously motivating the, the government. Then you have this energy that helps you with all this creativity. You have you have the money to to make it happen. You have the business skills to to execute and actually create things. Like I, we're going to find out in February how you really put together the whole this whole phone thing because that sure. still boggles me the the complexity of it. Um, not just the technology, but just the business aspects and the international aspects that we spoke about. Um, I'm sure everybody must meet you and feel like, oh my god, I just met my best friend. Like you make everybody feel like, hey. Uh, you're a friend of mine now. I, I wish everyone I met was my good friend, my best friend. I wish. I, that, that, that's hope. You know, we're human beings. We're on the same planet together. And unfortunately, it's disappearing quickly because a lot of the things we mankind are doing. I had a conversation at a dinner with two Nobel Prize winners, okay? And I asked them at the, at the dinner. I said, guys, how responsible is mankind for global warming? They said, very responsible. I said, well, what percentage of global warming is cyclical? What percentage do we affect? And they said, beyond any question of a doubt, far more than 50%. We'd freak you out if we told you how much, but it's far more than 50%. So you see these islands of plastic. You see in California these fires. You see, you see all this bad weather. A lot of it is caused by what we are doing to the environment, to the sea, to the land, to the air. We're killing it. We're killing ourselves. And then they're saying out there where the government says, no, that's all false. There is no uh, man-made global warming. It's cyclical. Not last week. The government now is saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, we are causing this, right? 
But yet, how can, the hell can the White House say, no, it's not real, we're not creating uh, global warming when we are? And the government report came out last week, it was all over the news, how, yes, mankind is doing it. we got to change or it's going to be too late. I underwrote a movie, and, it, and it, uh, the movie was a great movie. They showed it on the side of the United Nations. It's called Racing Extinction. And I was one of the executive producers underwriting it, what we mankind are doing to erasing and making extinct a lot of sp- uh, species on our planet right now. So, so you have these, you have this dinner with these two Nobel Prize winners, which suddenly turns into you underwriting a movie about racing oh, yeah. extinction. So oh, yeah. you, you again, you transform dinners and relationships into huge things that have impact. And I'm sure, again, like you're having dinners with Nobel Prize winners, dinners with other billionaires, where you could pull resources and see what each is working on to to. Help the world? Is that an important part of your life now? This Very kind important of part of my life. In fact, one of the groups I'm a member of is called the Giving Pledge. And Warren mm. Buffett and Bill Gates got me into it. First time I ever met them, they had a dinner for 12 people, invited my wife and I there. Okay, we went to that dinner. They told me what they were doing. The Giving Pledge, I think there's about 170 of us worldwide. The majority are from the United States. All are billionaires or almost billionaires, like the lady from Spanx. We know will be a billionaire one day, so she's one of us. We've all pledged to give away 50% of our wealth. I shouldn't say give it away. We put in the right places. To give 50% of our wealth while we're alive or after we die or a combination of the two to make the planet a better place to live for its people and its environment, and we're all doing it right now. To the best, and I had conversation with other guys, we think all of us are doing it now, opposed to maybe two. We don't know about them. They say they are, but we're not. Not quite sure if they are right, but these are people that people those, mock. Those lying billionaires. Oh, people mock all those lying. They're one percent. They they had me on television. Uh, oh God, this was uh, during the Obama administration. Okay, no disrespect to any president. Okay, because I'm I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent. Right, but we were talking there about changing things and how the government does okay, but mankind, we the people, could do it better than the government. Okay, and of course they were disagreeing. So they brought me on television, one of the big networks. Okay big one, right? Went around the world. JP, we want you to represent the 1% on here versus the 99% because during that Obama administration was what the 1%, let's take their money. They owe you guys. They're getting everything right. And I came on the air and I said, guys, surprise. It's we, the people of the United States of America. I am the 1%. I am the 99%. I've worked my entire life. Now I work to help out mankind as well as oversee companies, obviously, you know? I said, so this bullshit, and I said that word, okay, about the 99% versus the 91%, doesn't every American have a dream to be able to own their own house one day, a new car, and maybe have a shot at being a millionaire? And you're all saying, no, these guys are bad. Everybody else should be getting their money. Pretty soon, there'll be nobody left with any money. I am the 99% and I am the 1%. I've been homeless twice, so I could speak for both sides. People have got to know it's we, the people of the United States of America, not them versus them. And that's what happens in the news. They put, and the politicians suck. I hate it. The Democrats, Republicans putting one against the other. Stupid, 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 stupid. But I think now in the last year, we're seeing people become a little bit smarter. I have friends that are uh, politicians that are Republicans and Democrats both. And I can see the change in them right now, wanting to make the world a better place to live in our country. Not just what do I have to get reelected and get this guy's money behind me or get this union or this group or whatever the hell they get their money from, right? What do I have to do to stay in power to appease them so I get reelected? Things are changing. 
We talked about it in the 60s. Times are changing. Bob Dylan wrote a song about it, and they are changing right now. We in the 60s who had little to no money and zero influence, zero influence, are now coming into power. And we are remembering what it was like, and we're sharing that power. There was a guy that said something once that always stuck with me, and I believe it. Every man a king, nobody wears the crown. Hmm. Well, I think on that... Jean-Paul DeJoria. Jean-Paul DeJoria. You got it, brother. J.P. DeJoria, uh, businessman extraordinaire, philanthropist extraordinaire. We'll have you on again to talk about the phone. So many valuable lessons. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, and I'll run into you in the neighborhood. You're great, man. You rock, dude. It's really good being on your show because you ask the right questions that are going to help your audience maybe think a little differently. And I, I just hope you continue your show forever, man, and more shows are like yours. I, thank you, and I, I hope so because what I do is, that's why in the beginning I recommended people watch Good Fortune. I recommended sure. two other interviews you're on. Everybody can see your story from other places. Sure. I want to try to find the angles that interest me, makes me better, makes the audience better, and so on. And I hope I, I hope I did that. I hope you get the feeling that it was a little different than the typical interview. Definitely. And you're the only guy probably I've ever interviewed with that's taking notes on what I said while you're interviewing me on your pad in front of you. You've gone through three pages with me already. I, I Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I went through more than that. I think I went through like five pages. Maybe five. Okay. I was going to run out. Okay. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you very John. much. My Thanks pleasure, sir. Bye. Bye. Great. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.